Welcome back to the show. I'm chatting with Barbara Rivera today. She is the founder of Ceremonia. And I just wanted to flag something really quickly. So Barbara and I had this conversation in 2021, and that means that Ceremonia has grown a lot since then. She's got new stockists, the release of new products, but everything that we talk about in this podcast is still super relevant, really valid, and I just know you guys are going to love it. Before we jump into the show, I've got a quick note from our sponsor. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. The Princess Polly online store was born in a true startup style in 2010 in Australia, and we launched our US-based operation in Los Angeles in 2019. And now we are one of the fastest growing online women's fashion brands in the US and Australia. Our first value is customer centricity, so every single department is paying attention to the customer experience. We aim to deliver every single time and being customer focused is really daring to be different. We first and foremost listen to our customers and always remember that customer perception is reality. Our demographic is Gen Z and this is the I expect a response now. I call them the now customer. Our CX teams engage across every single channel. It is very important that we meet our customers where they are and Gorgeous allows us the opportunity to be efficient with all of these channels located in one place. We show up to work each and every day with one goal in mind, and that is to provide the best customer experience for our customers all over the globe. I have a quote, and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization, and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. So AI and tech have played a large piece in a lot of the decisions that we've made at Princess Polly over the last year and going forward that we will make when it comes to utilizing systems to their fullest optimization. I will share that late last year, for example, we migrated ticketing platforms from, from the very popular Zendesk to Gorgeous because it is the experience that we're focused on, the agent experience and the customer experience. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today. You are now entering female founder world with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. We have Barbara Rivera on today. She's the founder of Latinx hair care brand Ceremonia and also a former partnerships lead at Uber. And Baba, you also used to run an agency. I remember your events so well. You used to host these beautiful branded influencer events and I always really looked forward to them because they were so thoughtful and you're just a masterful community builder. And I wanted to ask if that is a natural skill that you're just born with, or is it something that you've actively had to work at and you can share some tips about how you've kind of developed that? I think I just, that's a, such a good question, by the way. <laughs> but I think I have always enjoyed um, human interactions. I am definitely an extrovert in the sense that I get energy from people, whereas for some people, they actually get, they, it actually takes energy to be around people. So I think that's an important mm. factor in being a community builder is that it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It actually feels like exciting uh, for me. And I think the other part of it is that I grew up as a, you know, immigrant kid who was different. I wasn't always invited to things. Uh, I wasn't always invited to the birthday parties. I didn't always have a seat at the table. So I think that has also shaped my desire to, you know, 
create a new table where people like me can be. And I also, because I, I, I didn't take for granted being, being invited, I had to become the host myself in order to be in the context that I wanted to be in, if that makes sense. You know, like I wasn't, I didn't have the luxury of just like having access to all the things. I had to create those settings and invite the people that I, I you know, wanted to, to be around. And I think because I know what it feels like to not feel welcomed, it's been very important to me to have sort of inclusivity in mind uh, just by default before that was even a buzzword. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that is so, you know, now that you say that story, it's so evident in all of the work that you do. And it leads us really nicely into chatting about your hair care brand ceremonia. And I was doing a little research before we had this chat and read that you came up with this idea while you were traveling for fashion month. Can you kind of talk folks through how this idea for Ceremonia came about and what you were seeing happening in the market that made you think there was space? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think in many ways, everything that I have done in my life has sort of like just, you know, built, been a building block in this journey of mine that is Ceremonia. But when traveling for Fashion Month, I think it became very evident to me how this sort of like world of like fashion and beauty is is so exclusive. And, and oftentimes I found myself being the only Latina in the room. And I didn't think about that as much uh, growing up because I was so busy just trying to fit in. And then as you become an adult, you become more comfortable in your own skin. And I started to just pay attention to where are the people like me? Like, how come that I'm always the only one uh, in these settings? And I think that was a catalyst for me where I, it just instilled, I think, the first seed for what would later on become Ceremonia. And it was this desire to uh, reclaim my Latin heritage and uh, feel proud of my Latinidad, which I haven't always carried with pride throughout my upbringing because of the stereotypical viewpoint uh, of what it means to be Latinx. I never felt like being Latina was a door opener, whereas being Swedish actually was a door opener. People would be like, oh, yeah, Swedish design, like Swedes are great uh, at design and fashion and technology. But if I say that I'm Latina, like people be like, oh, yeah, I know how to say una cerveza, por favor, because I went on this vacation or like, oh, yeah, my cleaning lady is Latin or, you know, it was never like associated with business success. And um, so I think as someone who has now acquired a lot of privilege in my life, I felt almost a sense of responsibility to reclaim uh, the term Latinidad and and really make space for, for more Latinas in rooms that have historically not been available to us. I think a lot of really interesting brands are being started by founders who have had exactly that same experience that you had, and particularly in the food space and the beauty space. Like, you know, there's Fly by Jing, and I'm also thinking about brands like Diaspora, the spice company. But what I am really interested to understand is like, how did you get from this understanding of I don't know, maybe a customer that needed to be served differently to what the product looked like that you wanted to create for them? Yeah. So it's interesting because I feel like most people start with like a product, like, oh, I want to create this one thing. And then they go and try to find customers. I actually started with 
sort of like the person before the product. Like before I even knew it was going to be a hair care brand, I just knew it was going to be a brand that existed to celebrate the richness of the Latin culture. Um, and I also felt very strongly that in order to do that and have a global impact and, and truly an impact beyond the Latinx community, and we needed to create a brand that had a global appeal and that would serve not only the Latinx community, but actually uh, beyond that. Because I really think that we're able to change stereotypes if we um, are able to to have an impact beyond the niche community. Um, and what I was worried about was that a lot of the brands in the sort of like Latin narrative were very niche and it was very often created by Latinas for Latinas and they were only talking you know, within their own echo chamber. I wanted to bring the conversation around the richness of the Latin culture to the main stage. Uh, so in order to do that, I needed to create a brand that had uh, more of a global appeal. Um, but before I even got into product development, I actually did a lot of research and I, I sort of went pretty business school about it uh, yeah. in the sense that I actually put my first, um, you know, personal check of $20,000 that I had made during my time with the agency. Uh, I put part of those profits into just pure research. And I worked with a consumer insights agency and basically they helped me to really map out the beauty industry in the United States. And it became very clear to me that A, the future is Latinx because almost 20% of the population in the US is already uh, of Latinx uh, descent. And it's the fastest growing um, population. And second, Latinas actually spend the most on beauty. And when it comes to hair care, we are spending almost 50% more on hair care products than non-Hispanics. So there were all these data points that I, I had a feeling were there, but now having them black and white really instilled confidence in me and helped me to shape uh, the business idea even further and eventually made it into an investor deck uh, and sort of made, turned my idea into a business opportunity. On the, on the investor deck, I remember reading when you launched that you, you raised a million dollar pre-seed round during a pandemic while you were pregnant, which any one of those things on their own would just be, is, is challenging enough and enough for, to deal with. So it's incredibly impressive. And I just wondered like, why did you decide a lot of people that I speak with when we're when we're kind of off air, they kind of caution against raising money and recommend that you're really intentional about knowing what kind of business it is that you want to build to make sure that you actually need venture capital to to get where you want to go. What is it that made you think, OK, to build the business I want to build, I need to go out and raise from institutional investors? Yeah, definitely. I think that there is no such thing as like really need like obviously you can build a business in so many different ways and I think that something that's important for people to know when it comes to venture capital is that it's not free money like it's not that oh now I can afford to hire a team and like play with my hobby like no that puts you immediately on a very aggressive trajectory and yeah it's it's one that's definitely not for everyone and uh, it's high pressure fast-paced and you are really really like hustling to hit new targets 
not only every month, literally every week. So it's it's like venture capital fueled businesses are usually fast-paced company. Like that's sort of like the definition. And not every company needs to be a fast-paced company. And not every founder likes that sort of like external pressure. So I think it, it really comes down to what kind of business slash lifestyle do you want to create for yourself? Um, and, and something that I always come back to is, am I building a castle or am I building a prison? Um, and uh, And it's just a very important question to ask yourself because sometimes... Uh, we end up in in this you know rabbit hole of of chasing something that might actually take us just further away from our initial dream life. But when it comes to ceremonia and, and and my personal goals and vision, I just knew that I wanted to create a really big company uh, because I almost feel like I was I was meant to do this. I was meant to break boundaries. I was meant to break glass ceilings. And if I don't do it, then who is going to do it? I have so much, I've had so much luck in my career. And, and I feel so immensely grateful for the glass ceilings that I've been able to, to break and the opportunities that I've been given throughout my career, working for unicorn businesses such as Uber and Away, you know, running my own agency. I have a very unique background and experience. So if I don't turn that into creating, you know, a, a high, pay, like a fast growth, high impact company, th- then who am I waiting to do that for us? And when I say us, I really mean us like Latina women. There are so few of us that are, you know, taking a share of the venture capital out in the world. There are so few of us that are making headlines in business magazines and really inspiring the next generation. So I almost feel like a sense of responsibility that, with my background and experience and knowledge, I, I know that I can. And I, I feel like that's the kind of legacy that I want to leave behind. This is something that I hear a lot from women running businesses. It's this idea of being really motivated by a mission. And I don't think I, I don't know, I don't think I hear it as much from guys who are running businesses. And maybe that's just my circle and my network. But it, I don't know, it's an interesting thing that I see a lot. And I'm wondering whether that mission is something that you need to be able to motivate and sustain yourself for the marathon that is building a company like what you're trying to build. That's so true. Yeah, it's it's very, a very interesting analogy that it's a very different motivator for 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 men versus women. Um, yeah, I think just as a woman myself and um, an immigrant woman, nonetheless, I I just feel like I'm so deprived of success stories of people that I can relate to. And I sort of wonder sometimes what my journey would have been like if I had peers that looked like me, or if I was able to read about people that I could relate to that had backgrounds like mine. And I wonder what impact that would have had. And I think that now is the time to fuel that diversity, both in media and business and the venture capital that is out there. That's something that I actually think about a lot as well, how things maybe would have, I would be at a different point if I'd had those people to look up to that I think we have now or that are starting to emerge on the scene now. So I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. I wanted to uh, switch gears a little bit. We've spoken a lot about the fact that your background is marketing and community and partnerships. 
building a beauty business has a lot of product development involved in that. How did you bridge that gap in knowledge or how did you acquire that knowledge to be able to launch these amazing products? And your products are beautiful. I use them. Yeah, I think that part of sort of aspiring to build a big scalable business is to understand that your role in the company is not to do everything. And I think that many entrepreneurs, actually very many very successful entrepreneurs, sometimes uh, end up in the trap that their biggest strength end up being their weaknesses uh, as well, which is that they're so good at just like rolling up their sleeves and doing the work. Uh, <clears throat> but when it comes to being the CEO of a, you know, future big scalable business, you also have to learn when to set a foundation for something that can operate without you as well. So I, I'm constantly reevaluating how I spend my time. I'm constantly trying to think about, okay, what are things that we're now repeating and can be taught and handed off to someone and what is new territory that needs to get figured out and i try to spend my personal time in new territory because i think that when we're breaking into new ground and that's really where you need the visionary involved and usually uh, the founder of the company carries that vision just by default and so when it came to product development that was new territory we were reframing what it meant uh, what hair care um, what clean hair care could be. We were really pushing the boundaries for what it could be. And as such, there was no person in the world I could just hire and be like, oh, can you just create this for me? Thank you. Because yeah. what we were creating didn't exist. Uh, so I had to be very, very involved, but also very humble to the fact that I am not a chemist and I'm not a product developer. And I was very, very happy when I met our product developer and later on our chemist who have just been incredible partners in bringing experience and expertise, but also being curious enough to, you know, listen to someone like me and sort of take my ideas and vision uh, and work with it and allowing themselves to get pushed to their limits um, in their creativity by someone like me. And I think there is that combination that's so exciting when you're entering new ground is to have really knowledgeable people from different backgrounds that respect each other and really are there to create together. That's a 10 out of 10 tip right there. And something that I think so many business owners that I speak with are kind of at this stage of, okay, we've launched and things are going great. How do we scale? And what does my role look like in the business as we try to do that? Because it's very different to being a scrappy bootstrap founder to running a successful business and trying to scale it. Is this something that you like learned when you were at Uber or is it something you learned through running your agency? Where does someone acquire this like insight? Yeah, good question. I think maybe it comes from Uber because at Uber, we we took experience with a grain of salt. Basically, Uber was very much, you know, breaking into new ground and operating in gray zones. And uh, as such, we rarely just trusted someone to be like, oh, I have 25 years of experience in public communication. So I'm just going to tell you guys what to do because we oftentimes felt like experience is great, but um, oftentimes someone that has a lot of experience in a certain area are 
very used to doing things the way they have always done them. Uh, and we found that innovation oftentimes happens uh, with a level of naivete. Uh, is that like the right English word? Yeah. 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 And, and I, I am very naive and I sort of try to maintain uh, my level of <laughs> naivete into the business uh, because that's oftentimes when you push the boundaries. Um, so, you know, we always joked at Uber about Uber was not invented by the ta a taxi driver. Um, and, and, and I think that you probably would never had become something like Uber if it was coming from someone so close to the industry. So I think that's where my sort of obsession with new territory and, and bringing a group of people that some are experts, some are not um, into the mix is so valuable to me. When you first launched Ceremonia, I was overseas and I remember just seeing it everywhere. You know, I'm an Instagram gal. I remember seeing it everywhere on my Instagram feed. And I need to know what your what you were doing around launch to get that much buzz and that much excitement around. I think you were launching with one product at the time. Wow. It's it's so crazy now because like thinking back at our launch week and like what we know now feels like years ago but <laughs> we launched less than a year ago but that's what's so cool with constantly being growing right is that you hopefully you're outgrowing yourself over and over again um, and what we learned with the launch was that you just need to get your product out there at the end of the day, like, I think we were yeah. so anxious about launch and like, especially, you know, I was talking to our creative director and she was like, oh, but like, this is not ready or, you know, this and that. And then we just realized that running a startup means learning to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And if you're not embarrassed of what you put out there a couple of months from now, were you even out of your comfort zone enough? And uh, mm -hmm. so we sort of just established that mentality that, uh, some things like like that it's okay to launch and iterate versus holding on to something close to chest and never letting it see the light of the day and what really worked for us was honestly just listening to our community and and this goes hand in hand with daring to put something out there we actually started building our community before we even had a logo um we didn't even have the product ready we we just knew that what we were going to build and what area of sort of like beauty was going to be within and we started building a community of latinas uh, to join us behind the scenes and really help shape this brand with us and i think my old self would never have dared to do that because i'm a perfectionist and i don't want to you know and talk about something until it's it's you know finished but i think what i realized with this humbling experience of running a business during a pandemic is that nothing ever goes as planned and the time is now and just do the best you can do to get to your long-term goal every day and what is that sort of like biggest step that you can take today uh, and for us that really was building the community pre-launch so then when we launched we already had evangelist I need to ask in a in a really practical sense, like what what does that look like? Are you out there creating focus groups on Slack? Like how are you bringing these people together, like that really early community to help 
build a product with you? Yeah, it's uh, it's been evolving a little bit. In the beginning, it was actually like a lunch meetup. Uh, I just bought everyone lunch and we sat down and talked about like, what does Latinidad mean to you guys? Like what hair care products do you use? Like, do you have any like home remedies from your family? Like I certainly do. And it just became this like exchange. And what was so fascinating to learn from that was that um, many of us were obsessed with our hair and we learned from an early age to care for our hair. It's very sort of like culturally ingrained. Um, but what I also learned was that many of us were so hungry for this type of connection. We never really felt like we belonged anywhere because uh, the Latinx community is so diverse. And unlike, you know, like, like the Swedish community, for instance, such a small country that like, if you meet a Swede somewhere else, you're immediately like best friends. And oftentimes Swedes abroad have moved for similar reasons. Whereas the Latinx community is so big and diverse and we, we don't always know if we're sort of like allowed to um, connect with a Latin person from a different country, you know? Um, and I have at times felt like I wasn't Latina enough, quote unquote, because mm. I grew up in Sweden. And it was so cool to meet these Latinas in New York who all had very similar experiences to me where they were like, yeah, I sometimes don't feel Latina enough because actually like my Spanish is not that good. Or someone else would be like, yeah, I don't feel super Latina because I have my hair colored pink. And like, that's like not really the way you would see a Latina in the movies or, you know, like there were all these, you know, and, and that made me realize that, okay, the root of the issue here is that the Latinx demographic is so stereotypalized. Like we, and, and when we don't see ourselves fitting into the stereotype, we think that we are weird. But what I'm realizing is that the Latinx community is just so rich and so diverse and we need this diversity to be show, shown somewhere. So that inspired our campaigns for Ceremonia where we cast sort of like very non-traditional Latinx faces and we worked up, worked with, you know, both women and men, gender fluid people. And, and, and that just became a very strong pillar of the brand. I noticed that when you launched, you just had the one product and now you have a really big, robust line of hair care products. And I'm wondering, was that, you know, an intentional decision to kind of create a hero product? Were you trying to get something to market as quickly as possible and then learn from that launch experience? What was the thinking behind launching with that one product? Yeah. So we actually had like almost like a full ceremonial ritual in the works and already like from the start and not every formula is completed at the same time. Like we, we nailed the Aceite de Mosca uh, faster than we nailed the shampoo and conditioner, for instance. And then the other part, and this is more like business strategy um, talk, but I just felt like most startups launch with a full ritual, like let's say a skincare brand. They're like, here is the cleanser, the moisturizer, and the like, like day cream and night cream or whatever. Like here's the whole ritual. And I don't know about you, but for me, if I've never heard of a brand before, I've never seen it, I have their zero testimonials, I'm not going to just like stop everything I know about skincare and just immerse myself fully in this new brand. Like I don't trust 
new brands enough to just completely embark on their full ritual. And so, and I think the same is true for hair. So I figured that what if we launch with a more unique product like the Aceite de Mosca, which is a scalp remedy oil, which is also just extremely powerful. Like even after one try, you will see results. Um, and then we can have that be sort of like uh, the bus um, creator. It's something that's very press worthy. Um, it's, it has a ritual to it. You apply it directly on your scalp. It's easy to, you know, uh, apply and, and put on Instagram. It's also very tied to the Latin community because it's derived from the Dominican Republic. Um, so what if we launch with this scalp remedy oil, Aceite de Mosca, we let people use it, love it, and then come and ask for more. And that's when we introduce more products. Uh, so that was sort of like a business strategy. Um, and in addition to that, we also realized that most people didn't have a scalp health ritual already. So the Aceite de Mosca became this very sort of like attainable um, hair ritual that you could add to your already existing hair routine. Uh, we weren't asking you to stop using your favorite shampoo or to, you know, stop using all your favorite products. We were just asking you to add this to your ritual and see the results for yourself. Mm. That's really smart. I think it makes a lot of sense to launch with the one product that you know can really build trust, get you a bunch of buzz, and then slowly bring in new products because you're essentially with a with a hair care line, especially like you're asking people to swap out stuff that they're already using and use your product. And then the second product for us was the scalp massager, which was sort of like a, a follow-up product to the Aceite de Mosca. So the perfect scalp ritual is to apply the, um, the oil on your scalp and then you massage it in with this handheld uh, massager tool that we launched. Um, and we introduced them as, as a kit. It's called the Scalp Power Duo. And to this day, it's our best-selling duo because it's the perfect entry point to the brand. Um, it feels like a treatment. It's very like affordably priced. And it's a way to try out what we're all about. And then if it works for you and you trust us, you will come back and buy the shampoo and conditioner. You might try our curl cream or our leave-in conditioner and you build your routine that way. Yeah, totally. Are you, um, are you building Ceremonia as like a D2C e-commerce business or are you looking for stockists and, and planning on being more omni-channel? So yes and no. We are a direct-to-consumer brand by nature in the sense that everything we do has sort of like been created with our, you know, online community in mind. Um, and we're currently only selling through our own e-com, ceremonia.com. But we also recognize that um, retailers can be really, really powerful in building up a brand. So we are actually launching with um, two very exciting um, partners uh, this fall, very soon. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, one is end of month and one is uh, mid-September. Uh, and these are two partners that are really um, strategic and they will really help define or help amplify what our brand is all about. Mm, congratulations, that's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, I'll keep my I'll keep my eye out for that one. So end of month and then um and then later in the fall. Uh, yeah, end of uh, August and mid September. 
Mads, I am obsessed with our brand pillars. You mean vagina sweat, good branding, and being Jewish blooded queens, Scout? Uh, sure, but not quite. I love that OKSIS podcast and our sisterhood is made up of women who are down for main character energy only, who take care of their mental health, and who are standing in their personal power as entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah, that too, Scout, that too. We should probably introduce ourselves. Hello, everyone. I am Mads. And I am Scout. And we are sisters IRL. Join us on OKSIS Podcast every Monday for some sisterly banter, nourishing mental health, a whole lot of silliness, and inspiring interviews from the raddest female guests in the game. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood! And then the last question for you, Baba, is just where do you turn when you have questions about your business? Is there a resource, a community that you're part of, something that you can recommend to folks who are listening? Yeah, I mean, founder community is so valuable. And when I say founder community, like a lot of people immediately think about like the most famous founders. Like, no, I'm not hitting up like Emily Weiss of Glossier. Like yeah. she, pro- she probably doesn't have time for me, you know, but like yeah. peers, uh, like I would yeah. hit you up, Jasmine. Like I would hit up yeah. uh, Cindy from Chill House or, mm-hmm. and it, it really depends um, what stage of um, your business is in and, 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 you're, you're going to have the most fruitful conversations with people that are on similar stages or maybe just slightly ahead of you. Um, and if I, it also depends what question I'm currently sort of like juggling. Like if I'm, I was debating a lot about wholesale and, and so forth recently. So then I went to my peers who have done wholesale um, and interviewed them about that. And then they ended up connected me to other people who they had talked to who were also in wholesale. And I was able to gather a lot of valuable information and make up and, and that served as like important pillars in my strategy for Ceremonia and how we want to approach uh, wholesale. Um, and then what I listened to, by the way, I am obsessed with, it's kind of like a basic answer, but I'm obsessed with how I built this yeah, I have probably, we have, I probably listened to every single episode and it never like ceases to disappoint. Like it never disappoints for me because it's just so inspiring to understand um, founders, like what drives them. And, and, and you, once you listen to many of them, which I have, I'm you know, probably listened to over a hundred of them. You just really start to realize the commonalities, like, between successful founders what they all share and have in common what do you think that what do you think those things are i think everyone has this like obsession with impact and like very few people i listened to just saw a business opportunity and just went because that might you know give them a lot of money like that's very rarely like the the driver uh, in order to create a really you know successful businesses it's oftentimes people that are really on a mission and they they want to see some sort of change in the world. And then I think also the other commonalities that almost all founders that I listen to, they are not afraid of stepping out of their comfort zone. Um, and, And this is the thing, like when a lot of people ask me about advice, like a lot of people are just not willing to give up things. And, and, mm. and that's fine, but then maybe you shouldn't go into entrepreneurship. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think the second someone is trying to have it all, um, it, it's just a little red flag for me because 
almost every successful founder I hear, whose story I hear about, they're slightly insane. Like they will take, yeah. make, they will make decisions that doesn't don't make sense, and they would, you know, quit their job before they knew if what they had was going to be successful. And I think that's what sets them apart because then they don't have a plan B. They're only optimizing for plan A. Whereas there are a lot of lifestyle entrepreneurs who are constantly sort of like optimizing for plan B or like minimizing mm. risk instead of optimizing for plan A. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Last thing, Baba, where can people find you if they want to connect with you and learn about Ceremonia? Uh, everyone can find me on Instagram at Baba, B-A-B-B-A. And you guys can find Ceremonia at Ceremonia.com or on Instagram, we're called My Ceremonia. All right, that's the show for today. Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you enjoyed the show, drop us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye.